0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I want to just say it's such a joy to see those of you that are visiting with us today. I probably met when they were very little a long time ago. Some are from Bakersfield, some from Taft. A lot of fond memories as I think about those two places. We have those from Ventura today, and what a lovely family you have. It's just wonderful to have you here with us, some of your family getting to know them just a little bit better, and so it's good to have you here, and it's good to have Samra back with us. This lovely family right down here, it's good to have you with us. You've got a beautiful family, and we are thankful that you decided to stop in today, and please don't run away afterwards. We want to get acquainted. Good to have you here, and we'll get right into the lesson, but it's a thanksgiving for me today as I look out at the audience. It's great to have you. I want to talk about the paradox of prayer. When we talk about the paradox, if God can do whatever he chooses, and if he really loves us, why doesn't he answer all prayers? And that's been a problem with people for a long, long time. I know in my lifetime there's been certain times I say, why, God, as somebody said one time that they were supposed to go a certain place. A fellow was standing next to another one and he had got this guy had got on his cell phone something that said that he was supposed to go to a certain place and he didn't really know the directions. And he said, Dear God, what do I do? And about then the phone rang and it told him exactly where to go. And he said, Well thank you. He hung up, and this guy standing next to him says, God, why don't you answer me that way? <laughs> well, sometimes we, that's the way we feel. We desperately need to understand. Some suffering is a very beneficial thing because it tells us that something is wrong. When you have pain and when you have suffering, something is wrong. Something is not right? And we want to make it right. We want to get over the pain. That's the one thing when you have pain that we want more than anything else is you want relief. When you look and think about the pain that we have, why doesn't God just come in there and help us? Because he could. Suffering means we're not getting everything that we want. It's not going our way. Have you ever had weeks like that, that things just don't go the way you want them to? I have it all the time. I plan it out, and it just doesn't operate that way. You know, when you wake up, you think, I want to feel good. Well, some days, my body doesn't cooperate that way, and I'm having a bad day. And cheerful means that everything is just going smooth. Have you ever had days like that, that everything is just going great? I love those kind of days. When you have that, either case, we're told to pray. I want you to notice what he says over here in James 5, 13 through 18. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth yielded its harvest. When you're suffering, what does he say to do? You're really suffering. What are you supposed to do? Well, he gives a simple answer. He says pray. Pray. Whenever you're suffering, pray. You know, that's one of the last things people want to do whenever they're suffering. They want to be taken in in those things. But he says, I want you to pray. We need to recognize that when we're troubled, we need to go to God. In Psalm 57.1, he says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings... I will take refuge until the destroying tor- storms pass by. The problem is, as we get caught up in the storms and we stay in the storms instead of moving our mind to let God take care of this. God will take care of it if we will really get into God. You know, one of the things that prayer does, it does three things. Number one, it brings strength to us. Have you ever just felt down and so bad? And then you pray and all of a sudden you just feel better about it. One of the things my kids learned whenever they were children is we taught them to pray before they went to bed. And they always felt more secure simply because they were talking to God. And this is all of us that whenever you're really feeling bad, when you're really feeling down, you go to God in prayer, and He gives you strength. Number two, He gives us comfort. You know nobody else understands. As I told you last week, when my dog died, nobody understood, but my sister. But I knew that God understood. God understands heartaches. He understands them because Jesus Christ experienced these things. Whenever you go to get comfort... He always gives you that. And the way he gives it, one of the things we do is we expect the comfort to come just because we say something. You have to know a little bit about the word of God. You have to know what God says. God says that, oh, though everybody else forsake, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is there. I can talk to him. I'm not talking to walls. I'm talking to God. And if I'm doing that, I take great comfort in that. All of a sudden, there's a peace that comes over me because I know God is there. And number three, it's because it really helps. It helps because it attunes my mind to God and to myself and to others. Now, that's what prayer is really about. Prayer is really about getting the help that you need and praising God for who he is and what he is and what he does. I like Larry Wesson's prayer. When he prays, he says we thank you for who you are and what you do. What you are. He says, whenever, whenever you're cheerful, he said, sing. You know one of the things in congregations that really bug me? It's when people that have God don't sing. It's not right. When I was younger, I try not to listen to myself too much now because of my voice. I had to lead, last night, Wednesday night, I had to lead the singing here. The members were very gracious, and they sang well. I never really sing well, but I try to sing out as much as I can. Why? Because I love the Lord. I used to get up, and I'd sing in the shower. Well, I kind of got tired of hearing me in that, but, but when you sing... It's hard to be depressed. Have you ever noticed that when you sing? I look sometimes and I see members of the church look like they're sucking on pickles. <laughs> I mean, they are so unhappy. So they don't have that joy. They, they serve a dead Savior. We've got a risen Savior and we ought to be a joyous people. And he says, I want you to do that. I want you to sing to one another and yes, sing to yourself. Sometimes you sing to yourself just because you love the Lord. So he says, this is what I want you to do. And then I want you to notice. He says in Ephesians five nineteen, as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourself, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, does your mind really vibrate out to God? Do we really go out to God? Paul said he did. In Colossians 3.16, he says, Let the worship of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God. What do we teach each other? If I don't sing with joy, if I don't sing with that in my heart, we really have a problem. Isn't it wonderful to take the Lord's Supper and know that everybody is serving the same master that we serve? That we have the same life, the same blood, and so on. That's wonderful. So we sing about it. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 15, What what should I do then? I will pray with the Spirit, but I will pray with the mind, or pray with the understanding also. I will sing praise with the Spirit, but I will sing praise with the mind also. When your mind goes out to God, we've moved into another world, have we not? We've moved into the place where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And all of a sudden, I'm exhilarated by that. All of a sudden, I'm revived by that. All of a sudden, I stand and I'm saying, I'm there next to the King. If I'm really singing with my heart, do you think Jesus knows that? Well, if he knows that, if he really sees that, he knows the enthusiasm that I have about him. Singing takes away a heavy heart. Oh, I've had so many people come to me and say, you know, I just didn't feel like coming tonight, Wednesday night or whatever. And after I left, I felt better. It wasn't because they heard something so wonderful. It was because they participated in something so wonderful. And this is what we call living your prayer. Many people pray and then they don't live the prayer. You know, whenever, God, what do I do? He says, sing. But I don't feel like singing. Sing anyway. Go ahead and overcome it. You can do it. I can remember John one time when he was a little boy. He tried to sing bass because I sang bass. We'd sit to each other and he'd sing bass. And somebody told him not to sing so loud. Well, one thing I learned about John when he was even little and he's still worse today (laughs) is you don't tell him not to do something. Because he became the bugger there of everybody because he sang louder. He just sang, sang, sang. Have you ever noticed we get Upset it. People are doing the best they can. Oh, it's a wonderful thing to sing off-key. The Lord says, I'm looking at your heart, and this is the way that we ought to do it. And he says, if you're sick, call for spiritual, mature people. He said, call for the elders of the church. Now, I think the sickness really here is talking more about the spiritual sickness. Pagy's brother had an operation with a bypass surgery. And one of the things that he did when he told, they told him, you may not even make it home. You have to have surgery now. And he said, well, first let me call the elders of the church. And they came down and prayed for him. And I don't know that I would call the elders of the church, but I want somebody spiritual Praying for me. In fact, I would want the whole church praying for me. They say, I don't want to bother anybody. I want to bother every one of you. (laughs) When I get sick, I want to bother every one of you, and I want you praying for me. The burdens that I have, I want you praying for me. And I want to pray with you or for you whenever you've got a problem. Now, the one thing that you do not want to do with me if you go to the hospital, don't call me in. And I'll tell you why. We had a lady here that was dying. She was in the hospital. When I go to the hospital, because I've been in the hospital so many times, I start getting dizzy. A panic attack comes over me. And it's awful. And Paige and I went up one day to visit her. That was our fellow. And I was standing in the elevator, and I felt like, oh, you're going to go out. And there was a guy there with a wheelchair, and he pushed the wheelchair under me. They wheeled me into Orvella's room, and she said, Preacher, don't ever visit me in the hospital. <laughs> I made her worse. Just being there all crippled up and couldn't, couldn't help. But I do want people that are spiritual Praying for me. That's what he says to do. Mature Christians can certainly pray for the physical needs. And the spiritual weakness requires special people. In Galatians 6, 1, he says, My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you have received the Spirit, should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, take care that you yourselves are not tempted. The reason why... You want to pray for somebody that has sinned and fallen into a transgression is you want to get the spiritual people so that they don't fall into the sin. Have you ever noticed when you go to somebody and they're having a problem and you say, Paige, are you having a problem? She says, yes. What is it? Well, it's that guy I live with. (laughs) Okay. And they say, you know what? We've been noticing him too and we feel sorry for you. Oh, and they have a good crying crying time. Didn't help one bit. Get spiritual people that are not tempted to get into that and you look for a Bible solution. Look for a scriptural solution to whatever problem you have. And that's the way that you approach prayer. And if you notice something, over in Acts 8, through 24 and this is where Simon the sorcerer had wanted the power that if he laid his hands upon people, that they would be healed, and so on. Peter says, Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord, that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the chains of wickedness. And Simon answered, Pray for me. To the Lord that nothing of what you have said may happen to me. Now he said you're in the depth of transgression. You're in the gall of bitterness and so on. He was lost. What do we do? Pray for me. You know that's one of the things that I want around me. When I go wrong I want somebody to show me where I'm wrong. And when I've showed what I'm wrong then pray for me. Pray for me. We don't do that. You get healed spiritually. John 12, 40, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they might look with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal. Now, how do you open somebody's eyes that have been closed that way? You don't. But we want to be of a mind that I can. And then, for this people's heart has grown dull and their ears heart are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes so that they might not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. I have so many classes, and one of the things that I have noticed is people many times in the church take what they like and refuse what they don't in the scriptures. I'm not going to live by that because I can't. You don't understand my circumstance. How do you open their eyes? You don't, and that's the tragedy. That's the tragedy. Over in 1 Peter 2.24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. I need to be reminded of that sometime. You know why? Because the things that enter my mind, the things that go on inside of me, are not right. I need clear-minded people Helping me to direct my ways towards the Lord. That's why he says to confess your faults one to another. We had somebody come here one time and said, you know, we ought to confess our faults to each other this way. Why? The Bible says so that you may be healed. You don't just go telling everybody. You know why people don't tell each other their sins? One, some of them can't help you. And two... They're not spiritual. So I want to talk with people that have my interest, that have the Lord's attention, and I want them to help me. There are three kinds of prayer. First of all, there are prayers that God will never answer. And we need to put this in our mind. Prayers that are contrary to His nature or purposes. Whenever we pray for God to do something that is against his nature, he's not going to do it. When it's against his purposes, he's not going to do it. We have that assurance. God is a rational being. And a rational being knows how to use logic. In fact, when we talk about the logos that came here, the word became, the word, the logos That's the logic of God. That's his logical way of doing things. He always works in a logical way. Now, it may not be logical to man, but it is very logical. He will not make a square circle ever. He won't make a square circle. Can God pick up a rock, make a rock bigger than he can pick it up? I'm going to tell you something. Maybe I shouldn't say this from the pulpit, but that's a stupid question. That's just a stupid question. God's not going to do something he can't do. And he will never change history. How many times have you said, you know, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I could take that back. I wish I could. God says, it's done. You're not going to get it back. It's done. Oh, I think all every day, I wish I had done this. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I had lived closer to God back. That's done. God looks at what are you doing? What are you doing? And you know what? He knows. We don't have to go back to the past. I'm a failure. Right now, what am I? Right now, what am I doing? That's what God looks at. And God is holy and will never do evil. Do you realize God cannot lie? We say, well, God can do everything. God can do everything that's good. God can do nothing that's bad. You can pray all you want to. And God's not going to change the way that he is. And he will never answer a prayer to allow us to sin. God, you, you know, my circumstances are so different than other people's. And, and right now, do you know, nobody understands the great love. It may be wrong for everybody else, but it's not wrong for me. God condemns it all, doesn't it? God says sin is sin. And he will never answer a prayer to make a person believe. Oh, God, I'm praying for this guy, I'm praying for this guy, I'm praying for this guy. You know I've told the story before, but it bears repeating. I studied, and when I first became a Christian, i tell you I wanted to win souls, I wanted to win souls, I wanted to win souls. And I met this guy, and would you have a study? Well, yeah, I'd be happy to study with you. So we went up. And I can remember so well sitting there and studying and I did my very best and I presented the gospel in such a way that I hoped that he understood. And when I finished, he looked at me and he said, I don't see it that way. So I went back and I prayed and I went back again to him and presented it in a little different fashion. And when we finished, he said, I don't see it that way. And this was three times that I did that and each time he gave me the same answer. And one night I was laying in bed and thinking about it and early in the morning I woke up. And I said, I know what his problem is. He doesn't see it that way. God's not going to make somebody believe. You will not work against the will of God. God will do a lot of influencing on a person that's lost. That influence may lead towards faith, but he will never force anyone over the line of free will. We get all frustrated And one of the things that I have to fight against all the time. I finish sometimes on Wednesday evening teaching and I say, I don't think I did one bit of good. Any any of you teachers ever feel that way? John, you ever feel like that? Yeah, yeah. And we get on the pity party. Oh, I feel so sorry for myself because I try so hard and I try to give it the very, very best I can. And nobody seems to get it. Well, I never consider that I may be not presenting it the proper way. But you know what God said? Mason, John, elders, it's not up to you to convert anybody. Present it and I will give the increase, God said. Boy, that just took a bigger responsibility off me. I just thought I was supposed to get all these people converted. God says, no, that's me. You won't convert anybody. If you do, it'll be towards you and not towards God. I have to be real careful. Yes, you should pray for the lost. And the reason why is because we live our prayer. In other words, that takes you to that person to try to win them to Christ. And then prayer will not change his purpose of redemption. Look at what Jesus said there. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather you, gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. So God says, I'm not going to force you. But we're going to die over here. Yes, you are. Why? Because you have chosen to do that. God does not enter into man's free will. And make that change. So prayer will not change his purpose of redemption. His plan is to restore fellowship with him. We lost it way back in Eden. In Acts 2.23, this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified by the hands of those outside the law. Did God know that they were going to do that? Yes. Were the people still responsible for doing it? Yes. So God, what God did is he used wicked men to accomplish his will. You say God's not all powerful and God's not in control. I deny that. God is in control. He is sovereign above everyone. And this is where our problem comes today. People are trying to take away the sovereignty of God. He is in control. But he will not change. His purpose, not even if Christ prays. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And God said, it's my will. Accomplish it. Ah, If we can learn this, we have come a long way. And you know what? Prayer will not change the curse on the earth. You can pray all day long. And the weeds are still going to come up. The thorns are still going to stick. All of those things are going to continue on and God will not change that because sin is predominant. People say all the time, well, what's this about? And we're going to preach later on on pain and and suffering and what it's all about. But one of the things, John mentioned it this morning. Every time that I stand at a gravesite, I learned to hate sin more and more each time. He says if you need, really need to know, go to the house of mourning. That's where you'll really learn that there I learned to hate sin. All oh, man can do one of two things when he stands there. He can say, God, why? Or he can say, you know what? This is terrible what sin has caused. I can see the effects of sin. I can see what it is. And I want to overcome it. In Genesis 3, 16 through 19. And the women appreciate this. They don't like it, but they appreciate it. To the woman he said, I shall greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be your husband and he shall rule over you. And to the man, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field in the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken to, to dust and you shall return. Got a problem, don't we? And that problem is going to be here. And he points it out in Romans 8, 18 through 22. I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom and the glory of the children of God, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. That's not going to cease as long as we live in this world. And we need to accept that and get ready to receive that new plan. I'm tired of this body. I really am. When I was young, I loved the body. I could jump, I could play, I could do everything, and now I can barely get around. I started realizing this when my teeth fell out. (laughs) I want to go to heaven. I want to be with Christ. And yes, I want to see the people that have gone on before me that I have loved so much. And people say, well, I'd love to sit down with Paul. I want to sit down with God. I want to sit down with Jesus. I want them to tell me about all of this. What a story. To have told to you. The curse is summed up in one word. Death. People say, oh, I look forward to dying. Well, I don't look forward to dying. I look forward to living. I look forward to getting out of this body and into that new body that God is going to give me. Christ has laid the groundwork for removing all of this old stuff. And the complete resurrection says, but in courting with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home or where righteousness dwells. Won't you be glad to get into that place that you can just sleep out under the stars, not worry about anybody coming and taking what you have and seeing all of those people that you love. And when you say, I'll see you in a few days, and i'm dealing in time i realize that but time doesn't have any real meaning we're not limited by time i love that idea if i go on a trip you know i'm coming back that's what i look forward to and don't pray we never get sick don't pray that we have no pain or get old or die one of the things we know in Hebrews 9:27, just as it is appointed for mortals to die once, and after that, the judgment. All we have to do is be ready. How am I ready? I'm in Christ. That's how I'm ready. God may give temporary relief from pain. And there's prayers that God may or may not answer. It's his choice. He can tweak the weather and the laws of nature. He can do that. We know. We've seen him do that with Jesus. And in 2 Samuel 12, he can make people die. He can raise people from the dead like Elijah. And he can heal the sick, Hezekiah and Epaphroditus. He did. I want you to remember that sickness and death are in essence the curse upon the world because of sin. Every time you see the heartache, think of sin. Think of sin over and over. And pray that God's will be done for the pain, sickness, and dying. What does He not answer? Why does He not answer my prayer? And there's a simple answer to that He sees the big picture. We don't. My kids used to want certain things that I could see the big picture. My daughters say, Daddy, don't you trust me? And I said, Not for a minute. (laughs) But we want to go to the drive in theater with this boy. Not for a minute. Why? I don't need to explain it to you. I remember being a young man once, and no, you're not going. And they couldn't understand it. But I could see a bigger picture than they could. God can see the whole thing. Oh, I wish I'd have been there. Maybe I could have saved her. If you had saved her, what would have happened? She may have been like a vegetable. She may have been, God sees the picture. What we need to remember Is in Romans 8, 28, he says that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord. The kind of prayer that God always answers, those seeking truth and salvation. He will always answer that. In Joel 2, 32, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does that mean? Well, I think we can see. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. The Apostle Paul do you remember before he was converted? Acts 22, 16. He's out there praying, 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 blind, 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 blind. Why tarriest thou? Rise and be baptized and wash away thy sin. Calling on the name of the Lord or calling on his name. What does that mean? It means that I've rendered obedience to him and I am depending totally upon his promises that he is saving me. That I will be saved. My sins will be washed away. I'm... I'm depending upon him. Do you remember Hebrews 11:6, "Without faith, it is impossible to please him. for whoever comes to him, or whosoever approaches him must believe that he, uh, he exists, and he rewards those that diligently seek him, or those who truly seek him. Now think about that. In First Peter 3:21, he said that the people in Noah's day were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of flesh but the answer of good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian you can be today. The baptistry is ready and you have the opportunity. As the Bible says, now is the appointed day. Now is the acceptable time. You can come and we will Take care of that as you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. Repent of your sins, confess him to be the Christ, and be baptized for the remission of sins as you enter into the death of Christ where the blood of Christ was shed, and you are born again.